0: Today's episode is sponsored by the American Homebrewers Association. Become a part of the U.S.'s largest community of homebrewers for just $48 a year by going to unitedwedrink.com AHA. What exactly do you get with your AHA membership? How about a year-long subscription to Zymergy Magazine, the world's longest-running homebrew magazine, exclusive deals and discounts at over 2,000 breweries, bars, and bottle shops across America discounts on Brewers Publication books and merchandise, access to a huge library of previous Homebrew Con seminars and talks, and early access to purchasing tickets to each year's Great American Beer Festival and Saver. Sign up now by going to unitedwedrink.com/aha and get a year's membership for just $48 and if you sign up now, you'll get a free gift. What's that gift? I'm not saying. You need to go see for yourself. It's pretty great. Support United We Drink, support homebrewing, and support the American Homebrewers Association at UnitedWeDrink.com AHA. The opinions and statements in this podcast do not represent those of the hosts' employers, coworkers, family, or imaginary friends. Now enjoy the show. Happy hour, more like amateur hour. Welcome to United We Drink. Hello everyone and welcome back to the only beer podcast that has its own bubble located right here across all of South Florida. Welcome to United We Drink on unitedwedrink.com as well as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and now Amazon Music and wherever fine podcasts are found. My name is Mikey Revich and it's going to be a long season as an Eagles fan. And I am joined here by my two co-hosts. Uh, first off, is a man who now has Tom Brady at the helm, Phil Palmisano. I'm, uh, I'm happy Tom Brady's to at him. the helm of your life, not of, of your yes. football team. and I'm I'm happy
1: to have him. Um, but he's a life I, coach. I don't know. I, Bucks uh, Bucks look good today. The uh, defense looked good, at least in quarter one, quarter two, and three, not so much. They looked like the old Bucs. Uh, quarter four, we're able to pull it out. So, uh,
0: Next up is a man who, uh, if the Bears were a relative of his, they would be a third cousin removed because he doesn't give a fuck about them. Here's Joel Codner.
2: <laughs> I probably care about some of my third cousins removed more than I care about the Bears at this point.
0: Is uh, Trubisky still? Uh, the, yeah, the I guess you be there. I
2: guess. <laughs> I mean, on paper, he sounds like he should be the Bears' quarterback. You know, Trubisky, Grabowski, the whole Chicago Polish thing. But <laughs> apparently, it all sucks. I yeah. guess they're two and zero. I guess I, I don't know.
0: Oh, are they? Wow, good for them and the city of Chicago. Uh well. Thank you everyone for joining us here on, uh, this fine Thursday or Friday or whenever you're listening to this show. Um, gentlemen, are, are we drinking anything this evening? Cause I'm on, uh, about to finish a six pack of Sam Adams, Oktoberfest, And, uh, I, 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 I'm sorry to, uh, I don't know if he listened, Sam Tierney from Firestone Walker, because he would probably say that this is not an Oktoberfest beer because it's uh, so dark, but I still always look forward to this beer every season. Uh, Joel, what are you having?
2: So, uh, I am on my second Miller High Life and in between sips of that, I'm also alternating between, uh, some Nestle Pure Life water and, uh, a Boulevard beer in honor of our guest on this episode, even though he's no longer with that particular brewery. I've been sitting on this bottle for a little bit. Boulevard's Rye on Rye Whiskey Barrel Aged Ale from 2018. Wow. <clears throat> still on shelves. Not like I just bought it, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. It's it's still out there. <clears throat> Very fine beer, though.
1: Yeah. It's, and the store did all the cellaring for you if you would have just patiently waited. so. <laughs>
0: Also, Joel looking for that Nestle uh, sponsorship money, apparently, too. <laughs>
2: Love that Nestle Bunch of Crunch. That's, uh, my that's my go-to theater snack, aside from the popcorn and the nachos and the pretzel bites.
0: <laughs> aside, so aside from all those <laughs> other things, it's it's like number seven on Joel's yeah. list of things. They Why eat is it that
1: movie. movie foods are always the loudest foods to eat? <laughs> right. Like, it, I mean, you just named all, all foods that make... Loud, impactful noises as you're munching them, including your candy of choice.
2: I once saw, I think it was called A Perfect Mor- *A Perfect Murder with Viggo Morton. So this is like 1998, uh, on a date at the movies. And I finished the nachos like halfway through the trailers. And I get up to use the bathroom sometime during a very quiet scene in the movie. I had already tucked the nachos down under the seat. And then when I got up, I stepped on this plastic, crinkly, crunchy. And I mean, you would have thought shots were ringing out. It was it was that loud.
0: That's what you get for putting those uh, nachos under your seat.
2: I could Absolutely. put them on the lap of the guy next to me.
0: That would probably <laughs> probably be nicer. Hey, uh, hold this. <laughs> <laughs> Say please.
1: Hold this, please. At least you said that, Phil. What are you drinking? I'm uh, I am drinking a Tazo passion fruit uh iced tea and uh, a Lacroix as my chaser. So I am too. Well, looking for those NA sponsorships this time around. Uh,
0: some some people might think that I'm having a uh, a beer from uh, I don't remember who it was. Someone in San Francisco that made that Lacroix
1: looking can the uh, papanoose or whatever it yeah. was yeah that beer was uh man probably
2: there there have been several ip uh borrowing breweries theft. going after that LaCroix. <laughs> i,
1: I that mean why theft. wouldn't you when they were the number one selling seltzer uh out there for quite some time so they're
0: back they're back in good graces with me i uh I, I left them for a little bit, mainly because Topo Chico was readily available at my Publix. They aren't anymore, and they aren't also at the uh, other Publix close to me. So Publix, yo, what's up? Where's the Topo Chico? Dude, um, my, but,
2: Publix, my Publix is stepping up the Topo Chico game. You're going to want to go to this one next time you come over.
0: Do they got lime and grapefruit? They've got it all. Uh.
2: And I, I was honestly, because so, it used to be like on a little, not an end cap, but that little side, Piece on the end cap yeah. where, like you walk right by it and never know what's there it used to be that would be the spot where you could find the topo chico now it is prominently displayed in the the na seltzer section and honestly whether you know like i wasn't a fan of Lacroix. i thought some of those flavors were gross but uh, you know i'll do polar i'll do bubbly i'll do aha uh who's the other one i don't know but all i can tell you is this Regardless of whatever you, you know, lean toward as far as the seltzers, the eight packs are bullshit.
0: That, that's just what I was going to say. The reason I've gone back to really LaCroix is for about a buck more, I can get a 12 pack and sometimes, depending on flavor, 15 pack for just a dollar more than Bubbly and Aha and Polar's eight packs. Yeah. Like fuck off with the eight packs. Bubbly apex right now. I have right not now. had
1: aha yet, but since we are going down, aha the, has uh, caffeinated ones. Ooh, you got, really? You got to be See, careful. I don't want that. I don't. You got to be careful.
2: It, they're they're not all caffeinated, but you do no. have to like really read the box. Yeah, because there's the like
0: citrus green tea and cherry uh, coffee. I saw on right. the store this week. interesting.
1: It since we're going down that like budget friendly uh, <laughs> seltzer game. Um, if you guys haven't tried the Kirkland uh, pack, Kirkland pack or whatever the Costco brand is, um, family whatever it it is Lacroix in my opinion. Oh, um,
0: I've, for some reason I thought you were uh, you were shifting
1: to talking about uh, hard seltzers. There for no, a no, 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 no. The normal like Kirkland's normal making seltzer hard water. seltzer. I did have the Corona hard seltzer this weekend and not honestly, i would not a fan. Um, it, I like truly better. I really do. So truly, if you're listening, um, congratulations, you're no longer in my basement. Oh,
0: and I think, I, I think I said this to you guys on the slack <laughs> a couple weeks ago, a uh, friend of the show, Kevin got a, a bogo on, uh, who was it? Crook marker. Uh, and had us over their house on uh, Labor Day. That is hot garbage. That is. I, I haven't in, had in a, a crooked
1: marker in quite some time, so I could not confirm or deny that statement.
0: <laughs> I, I like. I know that this stuff isn't my my uh, my bag, but I keep on trying them because I I want I want something to surprise me. I want something to be like, hey, this this tastes good. I mean those those truly lemonades Joel brought to my bachelor party. I mean they tasted like freaking lemonade, uh, so I guess mission accomplished on those. But it's still the lemonade
1: just... line is good. I will like I I like the lemonade line. Um, the will, citrus... will you pick up the Topo Chico when Topo Chico? Puts oh one I, out? yeah, of course. Well, I will definitely try that.
2: Proud the cit- the citrus pack of regular truly is really good. The tropical pack whatever the regular like mixed berry pack whatever the lemonade is where it's at but I've actually been ever since that bogo on Vizzy I've been way into Vizzy and I tried the Coors new seltzer I remember seeing the Coors seltzer in the fridge at Publix and I had that initial thought like wow these motherfuckers are late to the game at least with this particular brand but uh then it went on sale at Publix and I tried it and it was pretty legit. Like I don't know if it would be my first choice, but it's definitely ahead of some of the others. I still have a case and a half of the Bud Light, which is total dog shit. You've been trying I to mean,
0: give that away on Twitter.
2: Yeah, I mean, I might just shoot them with a gun just for Worst beer blog because I don't <laughs> plan to drink them. And uh, you know, the the Vizzy, the Vizzy is like a complete mixed pack with multiple flavors. There's really no straightforward lime or anything but it's really good and the cores was legit interesting and they're in 12 packs god damn it the the, fu- the bubbly the bubbly eight packs this week are three for nine which means they're what three uh, three dollars each and then uh when bubbly 12 packs would go on sale for buy one get one free it'd be like 459 so you're talking about 12 for 230 or now eight for three Horseshit.
0: No argument from me on that. Completely uh, in same. agreement. Yeah. Um. All right. So we got through all of our seltzer talk there. Uh, Na <laughs> and boozy. Uh, <laughs> so before we get to our our main thing for this episode, we we are going to be talking with our friend Jeremy Danner from Four Hands Brewing here in just a bit um Phil one one big news story this week that uh, you wanted to talk about
1: yes a uh, local brewery in Miami just installed a new slushy machine I'm kidding guys <laughs> 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 made you made you laugh actually that's ridiculous
2: past- <laughs> they already have them
1: <laughs> um, uh, a, a big news topic actually this week um, and you know it's big because the likes of MSNBC CNN, uh, stock trading companies are talking about this. Uh, DG Yingling and Sons uh, sort of came together with a joint venture with Molson Coors uh, Beverage Company, um, which Molson, Molson Coors uh, it is both Molson and Coors, just so that clarifies for everybody. Yes. Um, so DG uh, Yingling, we'll, we'll just say it, Yingling, is currently distributed in about 22 states. This joint venture, which allows Yingling to have their beer produced at Molson Coors uh, facilities, will allow them some westward expansion into the other side of the United States. For the time being, most of Yingling's um, distribution was east of the Mississippi Um Sort of going in, and as it is, the distribution networks for these two are are pretty similar already. Um, this just allows Yingling to have the capacity to move out west. Uh, full terms of the 50-50 joint venture were not disclosed, but there was there were several art, uh, articles that came out that stated that Yingling would still remain as a family-owned company, and Yingling would still be in control of basically the existing 22 territories that they're already in, or 22 states that they're already in. What do you guys think of this? Um, Joel?
2: Well, anytime we hear news of this sort, whether it's partnership, buying out, that kind of thing, we always hear that nothing will change, we're still family-owned, we're still whatever. Some people call bullshit on that, some people, you know go along i don't know whatever um to me being family-owned means absolutely nothing to me because i've worked for family-owned companies and some families are real scumbags um but i i don't know this is just one of those news items that i don't particularly care about i stopped drinking yingling once they pronounce their infinity for certain political candidates um i don't i don't really know what to say about this i mean Uh, whatever sorry uh
0: i i look at this in two ways combined one i think that this is a lot like the at one point molson coors miller uh combo that was a distribution strategy type of merger it wasn't an actual merger of their companies but was more of a, a marketing distribution logistics type of sharing uh, amongst themselves in order to uh, everyone be able to compete against a b um miller was uh, like is still controlled by Molson cores in America, but uh, outside of America are with AB now. But I really on the surface, this is just seemingly a contract brewing uh, agreement. I mean, this is, they, they did say that there's going to be a board created out of this and there's probably going to be so uh, a little more in depth than your typical contract, uh, agreement to where there might be profit sharing off of the Yingling that is produced off of, in Coors plants, but or breweries. That plants sounds weird to say, but uh, I think that's in essence what we have here is a contract agreement to where Coors is going to produce Yingling products uh, that can uh go out west. And it's kind of funny that these two hooked up this way because cores for the longest time, like back in the seventies or so, was only west of the Mississippi, and the people on the East Coast were always hearing about like, oh, what's cores, 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 and then when they finally made a splash over on the the East Coast side, it was kind of like a big deal. So Ying Yingling has a a. Kind of a soft spot in my heart from being from PA, especially Eastern PA, uh, where uh, they're originally from and where their original brewery is still located at. Um, it's kind of funny that I moved to a state to where they bought a brewery and they like the yingling that I would drink here in Florida is made here in Florida, uh, not in PA and so I, I have a soft spot for that. But it is kind of funny, too, that especially in the, the Philadelphia area, Coors Light is huge in the, the city of Philadelphia, like over Miller, over Bud, like Coors is kind of the, the, the light beer kings there. Coors Light is like, I, I think, like a sponsor of one of the major sports teams. I know almost all of my uncles drank Coors Light. Uh, and still do uh, as their preferential choice. So it's kind of funny that from a personal connection to see like P.A. Yingling, who have become this kind of like story over on the West Coast as like, oh, you should try Yingling. And Miller was the, or Coors was the opposite and how they've all come together. One other thing I, I, I saw a lot of people talking about on twitter was like oh it's just another another light logger working like yingling lager is not a light lager it's an amber logger. like it's it's more of like your sam adams they have a light version of it which sam adams has as well they also have a premium which is more along the lines of your uh bud light but that's not we don't see that down here in florida it's mostly pa area Like it's apples and oranges really comparing, but overall talking way too much about that. uh, I just look at this as a, a a strategic uh, distribution agreement and a contract brewing agreement.
1: I like it. I think it's um, a smart way for Yingling to um, leverage uh, size and, and capacity as they move out West Um, worst thing that you can do is open up new territory to then have to backtrack territory and and say like, Hey, sorry, we just can't produce enough beer. Uh, you're going to be out of stock for a number of days. Um, all while trying to go nationwide distribution. I think that it's crazy
0: that, uh, a, a brewery of their size, they were, uh, the number two craft brewery behind Sam, right? Yes. Uh, they have three production facilities, two in PA and one in Tampa, only in 22 states. That's all they had the capacity to be able to do. That's that's pretty crazy when you think about it. Uh, how much beer... And Sam is in 50 states. New Belgium and Sierra Nevada behind them are... I don't know if they are in all 50 states, but they're damn near close, each of those. like That's pretty impressive to be selling or be producing more beer than Sierra Nevada, New Belgium. uh, I know New Belgium's not in that list anymore, but fuck it. Uh, To be producing more beer than them and be in way less states than them.
1: Well, I look at it as the, think about this from a business perspective. It's the it's my argument that I always have about Chick-fil-A if Chick-fil-A ever gets in a hard spot all they have to do is open up on Sundays you automatically are <laughs> picking up one additional day you're selling now one you know adding, what 50 52 more days out of the year minimum so your sales are automatically going to go up People are going to love it because they get to go to Chick-fil-A on a Sunday. So think about it from the Yingling perspective, which is every time they open up a new state, they're already so – there's so many people. It's funny because on Twitter or actually Instagram, um, I saw somebody – there was a story. um, Maybe it was uh, Don't Drink Beers was asking to try and get some Yingling shipped out to California. and. For me, that's weird because I've always grown up and Yingling, since I've been 21, has always been there um, because of the Florida Connection, the facility in Florida and Tampa. Um, So to hear my friends in college say like, oh, hey, can you grab some Yingling and just toss it in a box and ship it to me because I don't get it here is weird. And so now Yingling has the power to literally turn on a light switch and say, okay, we're going to open up 10 States this next year and profits just exponentially grow. It's in my opinion, it's genius. Um, They, they definitely have partnered up with, you know, a top part, a joint venture partner. um, And that has facilities to be able to produce really quality liquid on a consistent basis. I don't think anybody loses. What I am curious to see is how this impacts the quote-unquote definition for the Brewers Association. Because the Brewers Association needs those cases. They need that volume. And it's the same thing as if Sam Adams was to partner in some other way. Will the BA look at redefining the definition of what a craft brewery is to keep Yingling's cases in? That's what I'm curious to see. I,
0: if this is like a contract brewing agreement, then <clears throat> they should still allow it because they they allow breweries to report their contract brewed uh, amounts into their totals each year. Uh, so yeah, they they they'd be kind of uh, cutting off their their own nose to spite their face if they they tell them no because this, this like unless I'm missing something, this is not a takeover. This is not someone has been bought. Like, I I, I don't see how they can argue against it. I have plenty of issues with the Brewers Association, and this is, like, probably one of my least (laughs) uh, issues with them. Just, like, whatever. I, I don't care. You kick them out, whatever. You only let them in maybe about four or five years ago, and... Uh, who i don't care but um yeah we'll we'll see what the the brewers association now phil can you do you have that article in front of you i do uh i i feel like i remember it being specific brands such as uh lager black and tan and flight was there one was there something else in there
1: Oh, I, the article that I'm actually reading off of actually came from CNN. Um, oh, okay. Because uh, it, Cause it was only a, a few
0: brands. It correct. wasn't like the whole portfolio.
1: Correct. So, But in all reality, it's Lager and Flight are their top ones right now. Um, Flight's their new innovation, which is really tasty. Their guys, I, I haven't yeah, tried it yet. If you haven't had it yet, it's really tasty. I, I'm very I like
0: disappointed that... Uh, uh, a, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Kevin Squires, who works with me, at uh, his girlfriend works for local uh, Miller Coors distributor who distributes yingling. And they, di- they were originally going to bring in the Hershey's chocolate beer, and they did not uh, as the pandemic uh, hit. And I was like, oh, I wanted to try that so bad. We talked about that on a previous episode.
2: I thought it was funny how when all this news came out that people were excited as we were to get Allagash.
0: it it, it is one of those weird beers that just has this this hype around it, of, like not from just not having it. Uh, like that's what I was trying to talk about earlier. Is that my folks grew up uh, hearing about cores and like cores 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 it's not available over here and then when it came over east of the mississippi it was a big freaking deal um and i I feel like yingling is kind of working with that right now whether intentional or not uh is is almost exactly the same um i think that's all that we have for the news right phil it is
1: till next time
0: all right. So let's uh, let's get ourselves into the main topic of uh, our story today. We are having a conversation, an interview with a friend of ours, a person who we all know somewhat personally over the years. Uh, this is Jeremy Danner. He is the... Phil, what's the correct title?
1: He is the... <laughs> Kansas City on-premise specialist and brewery ambassador.
0: For Four Hands Brewing Company. Thanks for uh,
1: completing my sentence.
0: Out of uh, St. Louis, Missouri. He is from Kansas City, Missouri, formerly of Boulevard Brewing. This guy has over 15 years of experience from brewing, packaging, cellaring, marketing, and now even sales. Like, this is... like. Uh, truly a jack-of-all-trades type of person in this industry and we are super excited to have our friend Jeremy on the show so we hope that you enjoy a talk with Jeremy Danner
1: Welcome to the show, Jeremy Danner, a Four Hands Brewing Company out of St. Louis, Missouri. How are you doing tonight?
3: I'm good, man. I took an awesome nap this afternoon. Sweet. I feel good. Awesome. <laughs>
1: yeah. So uh, Jeremy's been a longtime friend of all of ours at United We Drink uh, and has known Joel, Mike, myself for quite some time. Um, in the past, though, Jeremy, you were with uh, another brewery. Um, it, do we speak names?
3: Oh, yeah. We can say Boulevard Brewing Company. Absolutely. Okay, perfect. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, it, dude, it's funny. I, I've done a, a few podcasts recently and they're like, can we talk about that? And I'm, I'm immensely proud of, of what I was able to do there and super grateful for the experience I had. So, yeah, we can totally talk about whatever you guys want.
1: Sweet. I um, really just wanted to bring up this fact that you went from basically the brewing side to more of the ambassador sales side uh, with forehands. And. Um, as the sales individual of the podcast, I think it would be really interesting to sort of see how your life has changed moving from production side over to more of the sales uh, uh, face of the brewery.
3: Sure, uh, I have to wear clean clothes to work. That's become important. <laughs> you do. it's weird. Uh, it is very weird. Yeah, I could get like a week and a half out of the same pair of shorts when I was on the brew house, but. Uh, I do try to, I do try to look a little better these days. Um, you know, at, at the end of my time at Boulevard, I was, you know, in kind of an ambassador slash marketing role there as well, going on a lot of sales calls. So switching to sales wasn't terribly weird, um, but it, it's, it's been about learning how to conduct the business of a sales rep. And you know, I had no problem with going in and talking to people about the beer and, and introducing that to them and doing a tasting with them. But when it came to like, I mean, in a sales role, you have to be like, so do you want to buy this now? Instead of just like, hey, that was fun. I'm going to leave um, and let the sales guy do that job. It's, it's my job to make sure that, that people bring the beer in now. So it's been, it's been fun learning that side of it. I've done you know, brewing and um, I've done packaging. I've, I've been a brew pub manager. I've been in marketing. So now learning the sales side of the business has kind of been a fun challenge over the, the past 13 months or so.
1: So you have truly encompassed almost every aspect of the industry, um, short of uh, merch buying maybe?
3: Right. yeah and i i have a uh, i have no interest in finance at all none all
1: right well um at, at, and obviously it, we would have to bring it up just because it is so, so much of a large piece of our life at this point in time but what are you seeing through uh basically all the changes that have gone on since march with covid-19 and how how is that impacting one getting into a sales role uh more I guess, more structured of a sales role recently and then moving directly into a situation where COVID specifically is knocking out an on-premise, which you are the specialist for Kansas City. Yeah, I mean, I was, uh,
3: yeah, no, it's it's not a lie. Um, Yeah, I went on a quick trip with my family to check out some spring training baseball in March. And when we got back, that's when everything uh, was shut down. So I I called my boss and I said, I just have on-premise accounts. You know what, do I have a job first off, and then secondly, what what is that job? And I was very fortunate that um, the the founder of Forehands told me that my job was to pretty much stay home and take care of my son uh, while my wife worked at uh, Jack's at the restaurant. So during that time, I did um, went through and re- rewrote some salesy copy, picked up some social media duties. I've been doing some other stuff in the meantime, but yeah, essentially everything was was done. There were no bars and restaurants that were open in Kansas City, and then in June when things started to reopen, it's been interesting, sort of feeling that back out as someone in sales. Like obviously it's my job to go in and sell beer, but at the same time you go in and people have, you know, their, their, their previous sales or what they're doing is a fraction of what they're previously doing. So it feels weird to walk in and be like, so I got these $200 kegs of, uh, this really fancy Imperial stout. You want to, you want to pick one up? It's really tough to be in that position. Um, and I can't imagine being the business owner in that situation. So it's been kind of, kind of a slow play, just showing support and love to the people that have, you know, been supporting forehands in Kansas City over the past year and a half, uh, you know, that I've been around and really trying to figure out what it looks like as people get back to normal and normal, is such a idiotic word to say right now, because nothing is normal. But yeah. Really figuring out wh- what does a sales role look like during a pandemic? I mean, we're still very much in the midst of it.
1: Yeah. We actually, it's funny. We had a uh, sales meeting this past week uh, internally and we brought up the word normal and it, it, it's weird to say that because really all that we are starting to see similar tendencies or consistencies within on-premise business in in particular, but it's not normal it, getting back to January or February pre COVID-19 in the United States is, is, is definitely um, a little different than where we are even now, you know, um, it, specifically in South Florida. But, you know, I, I can imagine it's probably even the same way with you in Kansas city.
3: Yeah. I mean the, the bar business has changed for good. In, in my opinion, it's not, it's not going to look like it once did. Um, you know, things are going to recover and people are going to, you know, find new business models and ways to arrange their floor plans and, you know, get as many people in as they feel comfortable. And that, that's the weird thing right now is I ask people you know, how, how are sales, how are you doing? And they say we're good. You know, we'd like to do more, but we don't want to do more, or we're in a position that we literally really, we can't do more it's just it's it's a weird time to see like I want all the bars that I work with to be successful, but we don't want them to be packed, you know because then we know we know what's going to happen when that happens.
0: Uh you mentioned during uh the early parts of this that you were doing things like rewriting copy on your cell sheets and doing some social media. So is it safe to say that some of those people who were saying, Hey, forehands, do you see what your your employee is saying on here? They were saying it to you.
3: You know, it's it's really funny. The people <laughs> that think I'm going to get in trouble for being mad at racists are in fact tweeting at me when they try to get me in trouble. Yeah. um so yeah i'm doing our 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 twitter page is sort of our our twitter feed is kind of my main focus but i do i do help out with responses on uh facebook and instagram but uh yeah it's always it's always funny when i feel like i take pretty defendable positions where there's there's not a logical counterpoint that exists to it you know um when i was in high school i did uh persuasive speaking or oratory and the the coach said you can't you can't take a point that when someone would say well no shit that's your point so like if you uh, you couldn't give a speech about we shouldn't abuse children or we shouldn't you know steal from the grocery store because of course we should not do those things so I'm always I'm always really blown away when someone is like wait, wait a minute let's let's argue the value of racism for a second and I'm just I'm not going to do that I, I can't believe that that counterpoint exists man
0: you you put yourself out there so much that like I, I mean. I wish I could buy you a million beers for all the shit you put up with from people on there.
3: You know, my, my dad called me a couple of years ago and this is, you know, I was a little more, more tame back then, but he called and said, I was looking through your Twitter feed and I have to tell you, I think you bring all this shit on yourself, man. (laughs) (laughs) I think he was
2: right. Same. I'm glad Mike brought that up because it was something I kind of wanted to ask about where, I mean, you were always very vocal on Twitter, and and always, you know, in my view, on the right side of the argument, whatever it was, whether it was, you know, socio political, whatever, or just beer in general and that kind of thing. So, I, I is it right now? You know, you're so vocal on so many things, and I, I see you just back and forth with everyone all day long. I mean, is it is it a combination of just everything going on right now, plus maybe? having a little bit of a longer leash with forehands, or is it just, I mean, would that, would you kind of
3: be as vocal as you are right now under Boulevard? Uh, I think I'm allowed to be a little more politically specific than I was uh, in, in previous roles that I've held. Um, and I, I just think we're, we're at a time where if you have a decent sized following and you have a voice and you're not using it, I think you're, you're on the wrong side as well, if you remain silent on some things. And that's not to say that um, I, I could probably, I could pull it back a little bit probably and uh, have a little more little more peace mentally. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely, I have a little bit longer leash. I'm allowed to be a little more specific about things these days. So I, I think that's part of it. But then I just feel, I feel like as a dad, I think that's changed a lot. Um, you know, the the entire time I worked at Boulevard, guess he was born in 2013 so I was there you know six years with him but as he sees things and you know he asks about COVID-19 and he asks about Trump and he wants to talk about these things I feel really called to to say the things that I say because I I want I want him to know that like I did what I could when I had my chance I I think that's really important.
1: You know Twitter's really played such a large impactful piece of um, your career uh, as I think personally and professionally, and uh, you've met uh, tons of people through uh, sort of three degrees of separation of social media. Um, do you have any, in particular, stories or uh, memories that are the fondest with you? Uh, something that maybe spawned really cool out of, you know, a Twitter conversation or a Facebook?
3: I mean, I think um, I, I've been very fortunate to have a lot of interaction with uh, the Kansas City Royals. Not only, you know, people in the front office and people on their social team and their photographers, but, but players as well. So I had, um, I was on the field for batting practice in, oh, was it, was it June? It was like late May, early June of last year. Um, Brad Keller, uh, one of our starting pitchers, had gotten me tickets to the game and got me on the field to watch batting practice. And we're hanging out and I was with my wife and my son. And as we get on the field, you know, they have this little area that's kind of sectioned off. Um, Whit Merrifield was in the cage hitting and he comes out of the cage and turns and sees us. He's like, "Danner, what's up? And walks over and chats with us for a minute. And then, uh, round O'Hearn, and he plays, uh, first base, mostly, of the utility guy. He comes out of the cage after hitting Danners are here. What's up? And, you know, walks over and chats with us for a minute. And then, uh, Brad finished stretching and came and said, hi. And, uh, w- which words can I not say on this podcast? Can I say all the words?
1: You could say anything. <laughs> okay, cool. <Yeah>. So, um, <laughs>
3: After, after he walks away, the people, uh, this guy next to me leans over and he goes, hey, who the fuck are you? <laughs> and I go, I'm nobody, dude. I'm a guy who works at a brewery. I just happened to get hooked up with these guys, you know, kind of on Twitter. Um, you know, I, I was at a ball game one night and I got a message from Brad Keller that said, hey, um, I have a question for you. And I'm, I'm sitting in the K. I'm like, they're marching the flags out on the field, getting ready to start the game. And uh, it's like, my, my, family, my family's going to be in town this weekend. You think you can get them? in for a tour at the brewery? And I'm like, of course, absolutely. He said, you know, I'll, I'll pay for whatever I need to. I'm like, dude, you're a pitcher for the Royals. You don't need to pay for, <laughs> for tour tickets at Boulevard. Um, so yeah, having, having that connection with the brewery, having that, you know, that profile on, on social has been fun. So it's been really cool to, to have you know, those sorts of experiences. But then it's also been really fun to talk to people um, who work at breweries that I previously hadn't heard of. You know, with as many breweries as there are in the country, you guys experience this probably you know, near, near your hometown is there breweries that are 20 minutes away that you've not heard of yet? It's it's always fun to hear people say, you know, I read this thing you said five years ago and it, it really struck me regarding quality or regarding the way a brewery personnel should interact with someone at a beer fest. And th- that means a lot too to, to get to be told that like something I said meant something to someone. I think like that's what we're all hoping to do on Twitter is to say something at some point that that resonates with someone that's not, you know, our, our friends and our immediate contacts to feel like not to you know be uh, grandiose about it, but feel like that you helped you know inspire someone I, I think that's really cool when you have that opportunity, yeah, for sure it's not as cool as you know talking to baseball players on the field, but it's pretty cool <laughs> <laughs> well, i'd say you definitely
2: had that influence on me because and I think Mike can attest to this as well um, at our first brewery, um, and that that 's kind of why he asked earlier about you know whether we can talk about it or not because. We we kind of have a policy here where Mike and I have worked at a couple of places together, so we just say our previous brewery. We try not to give them any uh, free uh, advertising, <laughs> but um, you know, we we were working for someone who, um, you know, definitely all credit to him changed our lives in a way by bringing us into the fold and getting us out of cubicle hell into you know the world of beer, and and you know our, our careers have only gotten better since. But at the same time, we're kind of working for someone who wasn't very quality focused and had a little bit of an arrogance to him. And I think like in the beginning, we were learning a lot of bad ways to behave, whether it was kind of shunning people who they'd be like, Oh, what's in this beer. And the boss would want to keep it all secretive. So we would kind of have to too, and give that douchey kind of, Oh, it's just the sea hops response. And, um, I don't, I just, this is not really a question. It's more of just a, a statement and maybe a little bit of brown nosing on my part, but I just, I really appreciate all your candor and helping instill a lot of the values that I think are right in, in me in, in regards to the beer. Um, and, you know, it's just, it, it. you always seem to put everything in a way that for some reason I just can't say properly. Like, if, if the argument about exploding cans comes up again, I'll be like, you know, dropping every f bomb there is and just sort of uh, bulldozing my way through the argument. And you're more methodical and and intellectual about it, so uh, I appreciate the backup,
3: <laughs> dude. And, and I I want to bulldoze those arguments every time too, especially the exploding can. Or again, it's those it's those topics that a logical counterpoint does not exist. Where but there's always someone uh, on those hype breweries pages that are like you know, thank you so much for telling us to keep this cold. We really appreciate you looking out for the customer. And you're like, that is not what they're fucking <laughs> doing, man. That is that is looking out for them. And and I, yeah, and I want to drop all the F-bombs in those situations too. But I think part of my experience at, at Boulevard, and I, I had an amazing, she's she's still one of my closest friends, but I had an amazing supervisor, boss, manager, whatever you want to call her name, Julie Weeks. And uh, she taught me a lot about dealing with the public and, um, you know, managing relationships with the media and and I consider myself a a graduate of the Julie Weeks School of Personal Betterment and you know she pulled me aside once and she goes you're you're in danger of becoming a pariah if you don't figure out your tone and the way you say things and you have the you have the opportunity to to be a great influence on this industry if you want to or you have the opportunity to be an ass and I, I think I know which one I want you to choose and I think I know which one you should choose as well and just really thinking about how I say things and really um, I, I wrote a, a set of personal guidelines once. And one of those was that um, every tweet is a silo. And that means that everything that I say can and will be taking enough context at some point. And it sucks when it happens when you mean well, and something gets pulled out of context. But the reality is, is not everybody that follows me or everyone that reads one of my tweets is familiar with my entire body of work. So they don't always have the context of, Oh, he's sarcastic or, this is how he feels about this. So I've really, I've really tried to think about those things, especially as it relates to the industry. Um, I think my, my feelings about, you know, certain political figures in the state of Missouri aside, I just kind of let those go. But, um, I really have tried to think about like, if someone were like just getting into beer and like, they just learned that beer Twitter's a thing and they open the door to the room of beer Twitter, would they open that door and go, Oh shit, no way. I'm not coming in here. Or, this is a good place. And I think that's something that we all need to think about from time to time is what we as, as beer Twitter sort of represent and the the picture that we paint to outsiders.
1: I think it was probably close to eight years ago. You and I were on the roof of Boulevard Brewing yeah. Company drinking a beer and uh, talking about the potential of how cool it would be to collaborate our two breweries at that moment and that collaboration did come to uh to to life um it was a great beer um the industry has changed such a dramatic amount in my opinion since then Um, oh yeah better or worse in your opinion and and what do you see as the industry i mean our our listeners get to listen to the three of us blow off steam about the industry on, on sure a fairly regular basis but where do you see the industry now um, pros cons coming out of it
3: I mean I think the thing that the guys like you have to realize is that we were we were having that experience eight years ago and there are people who are who own breweries who were in high school then you know like the industry has changed so much in, in those eight years that um, I, I always remember when I when I first started at Boulevard uh, there was a guy named John Bryan who worked for the brewery I was like, I want to be that guy when I grew up. And I think a lot of people know who he is. And if, if you don't, you're, uh, I feel sorry for it. Cause he's an amazing dude, but he, um, he was an older guy and just had this amazing perspective of things that he knew that the boulevard that he worked at, you know, 10 years before I worked there had changed and morphed. And he told me that the boulevard that I worked at the time was going to change in the time that I worked there. And I think the industry is the same, man. I think, as we, as we grow further and become more mainstream, we have less of an ability to sort of hold on to it and, and steer it through the guardrails or like the, the bumpers that you put down in the bowling alley. You know, the, it, it's just so big at this point that we, we don't have that ability and the industry means so many things to so many different people. Um, near the end of my time at Boulevard, I, I, I used a metaphor that I thought was apt and I think applies here is that. We all work, you know, whatever brewery you work at, um, you can think about that physical location, where it is and what it looks like and what happens there. But there's a brewery that you work at in your brain that's representative of your perspective and your experience in that brewery. So as a sales and marketing guy, the, the four hands that I work at now is different than the forehands that our head brewer works at. And it's different than the one that our graphic designer works at. And it's different than the one that our founder works at. But ideally, all of those mental breweries are still on the same block to each other, they're, they're close enough. And I think right now um, the industry is exploding in such a way that I don't think that we all have the same industry is on the same block with each other anymore. And I don't know if that's a bad thing, but I think it makes it more difficult to make more you know, broad reaching, more blanket statements about the industry. I, I will say that I think more people drinking what we call craft beer or better beer is a good thing um, for all of us. I just hope that everyone's first craft beer experience uh, is a good one, and that they have a, a quality beer that makes them say, "I want to try this again." Versus, "Holy shit, craft beer is terrible. I'm I'm never having this again. I'm going back to to what I was drinking before." But I think, um, for me, what I'm seeing the most of, especially in in Kansas City and St. Louis in particular, is breweries are building um, their brands and their their breweries and their business plans to be more niche right now, and no one is. I mean, maybe someone is doing this somewhere. And if they are, I want to tell them, stop, don't do it. No one is building breweries right now thinking we're going to be in all 50 states in five years because that is not going to happen. That's not a realistic approach to starting a brewery. And I wouldn't want that. If somebody gave me, you know, if somebody gave me $20 million to start a brewery tomorrow, I'd buy an Island and get the hell out. Um, I'd be like, yep. See you later, man. I'm gone. Um, but yeah, if you're starting a brewery right now, like you should focus on your neighborhood, you know, the, The people that can walk to your brewery to pick up your beer when it's fresh and try to sell it all to them and and keep complete control over the quality chain and and really importantly right now is keep all that money you know that you're working so hard to make. Um, So I think the beer industry is becoming much more localized to where the experiences that I have in Kansas City and St. Louis or someone in Chicago it's it's weirdly less relevant to what you guys are doing in Florida or what someone in Ohio is doing. It's so strange to see all these different. I mean, breweries are all, you know, similar. We're all, you know, we're all doing the same thing, but our audiences right now and our intent and the way we're communicating that intent is so different that it's, it's really hard to make a blanket statement about the industry compared to what it was back then. You know, like back then we knew everybody. There just weren't that many breweries. You know, you'd go to a beer fest and you'd know someone at every table at every brewery. But now I go to a beer fest in Kansas City and there are people that I've never met before working for breweries I've never heard of making beers I've never tried. So it's, it's so, uh, it's fun, but it's weird. And we are kind of, uh, we're kind of the old guys now and I'm 39. And so I weird, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm not old and I wake up, I wake up thinking I have no idea what the hell I'm doing with my life. So I know I'm not that old, but compared to, you know, the, the very, very new entrance, like it's, it's so strange and hard to think about summing up everything at once. And I I think it's, I know I rambled a lot, but it's just so unique the way everybody's doing something so specialized and so relevant only to what they're doing. It's weird.
0: Yeah, going back to what Joel said before about our previous brewery, we were the second production brewery pretty much in our metropolitan area when we opened up in 2012 or 2013. Twelve, and we got to meet like people from a lot of regional and local and uh national brands at beer fests because there wasn't many locals at this time and now I, I don't do beer fests as much as I used to but I can just look at I, I looked at lineups for ones before pre-covid and I'm like I don't know who that is Miami what Fort Lauderdale I've never heard of these people and But they're doing what I I think is the the right thing to be doing and and being as local as possible. But we do have an issue with another thing that you said, and that is having that first impression on someone. I think there's way too much poor quality beer down here that is just going to throw a person off and go, oh, this is what craft is all about. I don't like this. And they'll never go back to it again. And yeah, I, I think, Phil, going. are you the one who asked if this, like, if we think that craft is in a better place or in a, a worse. yeah. worse overall we are because there are awesome breweries that, that do open up with focus on quality, have good marketing behind them, uh, and have the whole package. And there are breweries that just keep on getting better and better. Uh, and like, I remember at one point we, one of our, Joel's and I's previous boss had a thing where we said, what would Firestone Walker do? And if we thought that Firestone Walker wouldn't do it, we said, we're not going to do it. It lasted for about a month, but we at least tried to implement something with, with people who, when we look at for quality, that they are people who just stand out as, as beacons of light, for quality in this industry. And I think that there are other people who are opening up breweries now that are are trying to be like Firestone Walker and create great quality beer. And I, I want to be an optimist and think that, yeah, this, this industry is getting better because people want to keep doing that despite the bullshit, the slushies, the exploding cans, the stealing IP and all of that.
2: And uh, before you reply to that, let me just echo what Mike was saying. because I don't
0: even know if I really asked him a question. I was more agreeing with what he said.
2: (laughs) But uh, I feel like Mike's in my head on this episode. It it feels like that movie, What Women Want, and he's just uh, getting the best of me at every moment by reading my mind. But uh, I'm glad Jeremy said what he said about hoping that every person's first craft beer experience is a good one because that is constantly my thought, no matter what brewery I'm at even uh, thinking about the neighboring breweries. I don't want someone's beer to suck there either because that could negatively affect us as well. Like if some guy drags his, you know, Michelob drinking buddy to the brewery down the street and he's like, oh, you got to try this stuff. And then it's just a bunch of disgusting garbage or it's too bitter. It's too off-putting, whatever it is. He's not going to want to come back to our place. He's just going to yeah i tried that craft beer once it it wasn't good i'm gonna stick with you know whatever i drink but you know i i think i'm almost like militantly concerned about that first experience because i'm always like anytime i hear someone be like oh that's good enough or yeah it didn't come out great but we're gonna like throw some you know adjunct on it and try to hide it like my argument has always been that i feel like a lot of brewery owners don't understand the hidden uncalculable cost of lack of consumer confidence or those customers you'll never hear from again because they're never going to buy your stuff because they tried something once that they hated that you thought was just good enough. And, you know, because all they're thinking about is like, well, we paid for the ingredients, we paid for someone to make it, we paid to sell it and the electric and the water and the plumbing and everything. So they think it just has to be sold. And I'm the complete opposite direction. I think good breweries dump bad beer. So, you know I would just I would just say that i while I agree in the sense of I hope everyone's first experience is a good one and we bring more people into the fold, I just worry about the normalization of all the poor quality we've seen, whether it's exploding cans, stolen i p chunky beer, uh the works you know.
1: And And all of those reasons, I will say, are the reason why I think the industry is better. Stolen IP, slushy machines, (laughs) um, vanilla in IPAs, all of that. It's, yes. What a a time to be alive.
3: I think it's all about, um, and something I talk about a lot is intent and accurate execution of intent. You know, did you make what you set out to make and are are you happy with that? And I think sometimes you know, like, like you're talking about, well, we'll just add this to it to, to do this. Well, is that what you were hoping to do? Is that what your goal was? And I think you're you're absolutely right. Um, people, people sometimes won't know better, but it's our job to know better and it's our job to do better in that situation. And I'm not saying everything needs to be amazing all the time and it's not going to be. Um, some beers are just okay. You know, they're, it's good. This is a good beer. It's not going to blow my mind, but if you set out to make this style of beer and something happened and it's no longer that style, you can't fix it. You know, nothing magic happens in the bright tank or the treatment tank or um. I, I, you know, I've had this conversation with homebrewers a lot. It's like, well, I'm going to bottle it and see what happens. Like we're going to waste your time bottling shitty beer. Nothing's going to happen. That's magic in bottle conditioning. You're just, you know, like don't do that. Just dump the beer now. Um, And I've always said if you can't afford to dump beer, you can't afford to open a brewery. Yeah.
1: Well, I think that's a a good way to sort of tie this, tie tie a ribbon around this gift and uh, sort of seal it away. Um, But before we do that, Jeremy, we do like to ask one question, and I'm going to have Joel ask that question because he loves this question. He came up with this question. Uh, Joel, go ahead.
2: (laughs) Okay, uh,
3: what is your go-to Taco Bell order? Oh man, you know, I'm pissed because I'm a Mexican pizza guy, and I am going to... I'm going to burn Taco Bell down. If you're listening, Taco Bell, I'm coming for you. Um, I wanted to go like full on Karen online that night. And like at Taco Bell, we have a problem. Um, I don't know what the hell I'm going to eat now. Um, yeah, I'm a Mex- I go, I go to the Mexican pizza uh, meal and I need that blue Mountain Dew. And if you don't have the blue Mountain Dew, I don't, I don't really want my whole meal. That's just part. I know it's stupid, but that blue Mountain Dew is part of it, man. I need it. <laughs> My wife has been, she likes Taco Bell a lot. She'll get it on her way home from work. And um, we've been, I've been experimenting with other meals. I've been seeing other Taco Bell combos, like trying to get over the Mexican pizza, and it's not going you feel going dirty
1: well. when, you, uh, when you see this. other dude.
3: No, It's like if there's a bar that has an amazing pork tenderloin, you're like, I'm gonna get something different. And then you're like, I should've gotten that goddamn pork tenderloin, man. What am I doing? And every time with, with the Mexican pizza, that's where I'm at. I'm like, this is good, but it's not a Mexican pizza. I'm so sad.
2: <laughs> and what's, what's funny is when you read the article about them getting it off the menu, it seems like one of their primary purposes is to reduce, you know, their carbon footprint and the paper product, you know, they use to serve that to you, you know, the container it comes in. And then someone sent me a link saying uh, Taco Bell is testing hot wings out in the, you know, various markets and I'm thinking to myself, you want to reduce paper by getting rid of the Mexican pizza and then introduce a menu item that's going to make people ask for 4,000 napkins.
3: Right. I, I saw a great tweet where someone was like, I don't care, Taco Bell. Put the Mexican pizza in my hand in the drive-thru. I'll take it. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I'll bring my... I have, a, I have a, as, a, as a father, I have a very extensive collection of Tupperware. And I'm sure that I have one that is the appropriate diameter to hold the Mexican pizza, man. I think
2: they should have a pizza launcher like the Ninja Turtles did.
3: Yes. Just can we shoot talk those about, Mexican pizzas out of a gun. Can we talk about that for another 40 minutes, please? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we would definitely have to have you back for that topic. <laughs> but uh, Jeremy, thank you so much for jumping in and discussing the uh, status Do you want to plug industry. anything? Oh, yeah. Sorry.
3: Yeah. Uh, if, you, if you want to follow me, um, I'm Jeremy underscore Danner on Twitter. The brewery is the number four. Hands Brewing Co. on Twitter and uh, Facebook and Instagram. And if you're listening to this and you're not registered to vote, please register to vote. I, I'm not even going to tell you who to vote for. I just want you to vote. Um, five years ago, I, I tweeted that I, that I think voting is dumb, and that was one of the dumbest things I've ever said. Please vote.
1: Sweet. Yeah. Well, Jeremy, thank you on behalf of United We Drink. Um, have a good evening and we will talk to you
3: soon. Thanks guys. Cheers.
0: A big thank you to our friend, Jeremy for coming onto the show. Uh, neglected to mention during our conversation, former sexiest man in craft beer, according to this podcast, I don't remember what year about that. Uh, Phil also a former sexiest man in craft beer, according to this podcast. Uh, Yeah. If you have any of those old, old, old episodes from the first run, please delete them Uh, (laughs) because they're probably not good. But yeah. Thank you to Jeremy. I mean, that, that dude has been someone who I've followed for a long time and always look at him as a little bit of an inspiration for for how much that he has gotten involved in in this industry because I I feel like I have myself and whether I like to or not uh I mean that dude has been a prominent voice in this industry for a while
2: that interview went by so quickly I felt like it was a 10th of the time we spent with uh, Pete from Metro and uh, I wish we had more time with him. We definitely got to bring him back.
1: Yeah, I agree. It, uh, I mean, for, for all of us to have a relationship going in, it, it wasn't really even more of an interview than for me, it was catching up with somebody that I haven't seen in such a long time. So um, I literally cannot wait to get back out to Kansas city Um, it's one of my favorite places to go to one of my favorite places to eat. Um, all of the meats. Um, it's such an amazing part of, uh, the United States.
2: Just the absolute nicest people in the world. And they're lobbying for me to move there instead of Chicago.
1: (laughs) Well, there's one hell of a college basketball team, uh, right around the corner in Lawrence as well. Uh, so I think uh do you guys had you guys got
0: last calls? Yeah. All right. So I'll 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 get mine out of the way first. Uh I didn't get a chance to do this on the last episode because we didn't really do last calls, Phil, because Joel got dropped from the call, blah blah blah. Joel Man, has technical difficulties we know. Uh <laughs> but it's last call time. Uh I just wanted to say uh that since then, my Philadelphia Flyers came to an end of their run for the Stanley Cup. And Phil's lightning are not off to a great start for uh, the Stanley Cup. Just going to throw that in there because he stuck his tongue out at me. Um, But I am really liking what I see in this team. Uh, I am really liking what I saw from... Elaine Vigneault for his first year as the the head coach. Get rid of Michelle Therrien as the power play coach because he didn't do shit for that power play. But our veterans in Giroux and Voracek. I love what we have that they're doing with the younger stars and the, the young guys who are coming up through this system. We have a goalie that I think that we can feel confident in for the first time since Hextall was a goalie. And he was most recently a GM for the team uh, in Carter Hart. Uh, I'm proud of what the Flyers did this season in this weird wacky season that, that they had. Um, And I am super happy to bleed orange and black when the, the ice is frozen and the, the teams are taking the ice. And I look forward to uh, what that team can do over the next few years. Uh, fly or die, anytime, anywhere. Here we go, boys. Uh, looking forward to the next season. Let's see what we can do. Phil.
1: I, you know, side comment on that. I think the NHL really has the bubble thing downright. Um, I have watched more hockey, I believe than I probably ever have in my entire life because I find myself watching all the other games and the competition, even without a crowd is still there. The players are just as into it. It's, it's awesome. Um, it's a little bit different than what I'm seeing uh, week in and week out with the NFL. Um, but for my last call this week, I would like to um, shout out to the guys over at Bitter Units. Uh, United We Drink sort of did an uh, overrun of their podcast. Uh, Joel's episode just aired this past week. I believe mine's coming out next week. Um, but I'm not on uh, it. Not yet. Not yet, Mike. We we talked about that on my episode, so I, I sort of <laughs> pitched you to come in and uh, – do a seltzer with them. Um those guys uh they review if you haven't listened to the podcast they review beer on the second half of their uh podcast and the beer that I reviewed um uh, was Saison Dupont um and I think we talked about it a little bit on ours uh our our podcast last um but I really Shout out to the classic styles. Um, I found myself wandering through the aisles of a Total Wine this past week and looking at all of the crazy beers that are out there and then made a turn and went down the import aisle and ran into familiar friends, Cezanne de Samuel Smith, uh, Gaffel Kolsch, All of these beers are fantastic, two-style examples of what real beer used to be and still is, in my opinion. Um, I'm challenging. I'd like to put a challenge out there within the next month of uh, this. Go out and grab the beer that got you into craft beer that is one of those classic styles try it and think about where you have come from, from way back whenever, be it a year, six months, maybe it was last week you got into craft beer, or maybe it was 20 years ago, and see if that beer still brings that memory, uh, that familiar memory back to you, because I can tell you, i powered through a bottle of Saison DuPont and was really disappointed I didn't get the 750 I only got the 375 but I went back this past week and picked up another one because that beer is just so damn good and it brought back so many really good memories of what this industry has been for me throughout you know 15 years somewhere around there at this point in time
0: such a fucking awesome beer
2: I think uh, that'd be cool for the three of us to do and then come back on maybe the next episode. And
0: I was just going to say that. <laughs> like, well, maybe that's what we said sh- earlier. So <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe we should, uh, for the next episode, grab some, grab some beers that were our, uh, intros and, uh, we can kind of tell some stories about, about those beers and what they, uh, like when we had them and, and what made us like them and, and all of that. I think Sounds that would good. be fun. Take a little break from some interviews, and then, uh,
1: uh,
3: yeah, that would be
0: fun. Get for it, for it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Drink them on the pod, or yeah. drink drink them on the pod. Prayer. Yeah. So like like so, two beers. Well, three. There's three of us, or does like? But
0: no, two beers each. Well, I well, actually, no, I guess I think,
1: I think we all pick, and then we all go out and we buy all three of the beers and we try them together <laughs> oh. on, <laughs> oh, okay, on I, the pot. okay, even better, yeah, you oh, like that,
0: I like that, I like that, yeah,
1: it's like drinking virtually with our friends,
0: yeah, look at, and all of you get to to have a little inside look as to what our slack channel's like, apparently, because uh, we're doing all this planning on air, uh, Joel. Now that we have our uh, next episode planned out, what's your last call?
2: So I'm going to do something new that I hope you guys are okay with and feel free to do this yourselves uh, whenever you feel like it. Uh, It's called thank you, love you, fuck you. And uh, what I'll basically do is spend my last call saying those three particular things to three particular people. So uh, to start off, uh, love you to my brother, Hal, who helped me, uh, jump on his beast of a gaming PC for this recording. Otherwise, I probably would have had a repeat of last episode. I tried uh, updating my computer three hours in advance of the podcast, and uh, as far as I know, it's still updating out in the kitchen. Um, Thank you to MaceWank on Twitter for uh, hooking me up with a link to the PS5 pre-order. Got that shit locked down. And uh, fuck you to all you woke douchebags who uh, feel like alienating and demonizing your own allies for the purpose of your performative Twitter bullshit. Uh, I'm on so many people's sides yet they can't help but try to can't, I feel like I've been attemptedly canceled three fucking times this month. Um, and it's really annoying and you sensitive douchebags who can't take a joke are going to love Trump's next four terms. So, uh, have a nice day. Thank you. Fuck you and enjoy Arby's.
0: Uh, on that note (laughs) sorry no next time I'll let you start that off (laughs) Uh, because it's kind of weird to then wrap the show up from there Um, Joel do you want to plug anything
2: yes I am Flora Dudd UH Brewer on Twitter and Instagram also check out my OCD adventures at egg symmetry on Instagram um, you'll like the next one where it's just a bunch of crushed eggs because I stopped giving a shit. Uh, and uh, yeah,
0: Phil,
1: P Palmasano at Instagram and Dos Beerigos on Twitter.
0: That's P Palmasano seventy seven on Thank Instagram. You. Again, <laughs> completing my sentence for the second time this podcast. What I didn't complete thoughts? it. I uh, I fixed it.
1: Corrected. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah.
0: You can follow me Sweet. at Mike Loves Beer on Instagram and Twitter. You can follow the show on Twitter at United We Drink. We're at United We Drink Pod on Instagram. We're also on Facebook. We don't use that a terrible lot, but whatever. Uh, the show can be listened to on our website, unitedwedrink.com, as well as all of the major podcast apps. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and the brand new announced this past week, Amazon Music Now has podcasts. We were right there on launch of uh, that service. So if you're into listening to stuff on Amazon Music, we are right there for you as well. Uh, You can... Support the show financially by visiting any of our major sponsors that we uh, talk about on the beginning of the show or on our website or by buying a shirt, button, sticker, mask or whatever from our uh, our store, unitedwedrink.com slash store. Uh, otherwise, we will be back here in two weeks to talk about some beers that got us into this whole wacky world that we're in right now. Uh, for everyone here. Thank you once again for joining us and listening to us and supporting us. We appreciate it. We'll see you next uh, episode. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.
1: All right. Um, welcome to the show, Mr. Jeremy Danner of Four Hands Brewing Company out of uh, Kansas City, Missouri, correct?
3: The brewery is in St. Louis, but I live in All Kansas All right. We're going to start yep. over again. Let's cool. um, go. <laughs> <laughs> we need to do the research, Phil. Phil. Oh, man. I have
1: it written down right next to me. Um, (laughs) But he is the Kansas City on-premise special. So I literally read the line down below and now we have an outtake. So...